0: Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Have you ever watched any of those design shows where somebody's home gets renovated? Uh, Typically, what happens is a professional designer shows up and does a walkthrough of the home, and they begin to paint a picture of the future. You know, they usually have these cool little computer-generated graphics of walls coming down and kitchens getting extended and dead space being reimagined. And it's a very exciting time. And the homeowners are, are typically eager to get going, and they set a budget, and they set a timeline, and everyone's feeling great until the contractor shows up do bunch of hate contractors always bringing us back to reality. We want to live in a dream world, right? and so the contractors they start finding problems. You know, they lift up the carpet. Turns out the the subflooring is down. You have to replace it all, or they just they, they realize that the electrical needs to be rewired, or or an addition to the house wasn't permitted correctly. Whatever the case was, and so now the homeowners are having to extend the timeline and extend the budget, and all of that. Excitement that was there has now given way to fear and anxiety. And that's typically when the designer steps back into the picture and says, Look, I know this is the hard part. This is the grind. But if you could just endure through these hard couple of months, I promise you it'll be worth it. And in many ways, that's the same message that Jesus gave his disciples in a private sermon he delivered on the Mount of Olives about the end of the age. And he's he's telling his disciples, listen, you're in the grind. You're in the hardest part, but I'm telling you, if you can endure, this this picture of the future is going to be beautiful and exciting, but before we get there, it's going to be hard, but I promise you, if you endure, it is going to be so worth it. Today, we continue with part three of our message series about the final week of Jesus' life before the cross and before the tomb. We're calling it Seven Days to Live. And day one on Sunday began with Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as people waved palm branches and shouted, Hosanna. But the people would soon soon realize that the king they expected and the king they experienced were worlds apart. Day two on Monday, Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the merchants in the temple area, and he cleansed all of the barriers out of the way that were preventing people from seeing the one true God. Today, We're going to do a flyover of day three, Tuesday, and then we're going to really park on day three, which is Wednesday. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, we are going to spend the majority of our time in the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, looking at something that is referred to as the Olivet Discourse, which basically means a message Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. It's going to be great. Matthew, chapter 24 is uh, where we're going to be. Now, the question we've been posing to people in this series is, if you knew you had seven days left to live, how would you spend it? For me personally, I would want to spend it with the people that I love in peace. Jesus, on the other hand, saved some of his harshest teaching for his final week. And on Tuesday, he went toe-to-toe with the most educated, most intense, most intimidating religious leaders there were. And he dropped some harsh words on them. Listen to just some of the things Jesus said on this one day. He, He said to them, Matthew 22, 18, You hypocrites, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures, he said of them. They do not practice what they preach. He called them this, You blind guides, you blind fools, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers. And then Jesus had the audacity to say this, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Ouch. (laughs) Why was Jesus so harsh? Here's why. Because he wanted to make sure that everyone knew The truth. And the gospel these religious leaders were preaching was not the truth. It was a false gospel based on works that had nothing to do with faith in God. But the second reason why Jesus was so harsh is what he was doing is he was poking the bear. Because he knew that very bear would turn and kill him, which was the plan all along. And that's exactly what happened. Matthew 26, 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest... Whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So now the enemies of Jesus have appealed to the man who is the the most influential Jewish leader in all of Jerusalem, a guy by the name of Caiaphas, the high priest. I was just in Israel and I went to Caiaphas's home. This guy had a dungeon and a whipping post. In his basement, this guy didn't play. And now he's the one who is teaming up with Jesus' enemies, and the plot and the plan to get Jesus removed now has legs. It's moving in that direction. And Jesus concludes his Tuesday with this, Matthew 24, 1. Jesus left the temple. This would be the last time in Jesus' public ministry that he would ever spend at the temple. And with this, at the close of Tuesday, Jesus concluded his public ministry. No more out in the streets with people, no more telling parables, no more interacting with the religious leaders, answering their ridiculous traps and questions. That part was all done. Now the remaining days of Jesus' life were spent in intimate moments with the people that he was the closest with. And that's how Wednesday began. Jesus with just his disciples. And so let's lean in to Matthew 24, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. This appears to be an attempt by the disciples to kind of lighten the mood. I mean, they just concluded a day filled with intense, heated showdowns. So they're trying to, you know, kind of distract Jesus. Hey, look at the temple. Isn't it great? you've done that before too. Maybe you were in a family get-together and there was some heated exchange that was going on between some people and the room was a little heavy, so you try to lighten things up. Hey, anybody remember that funny thing that happened last week? Anyone? No one? Okay. (laughs) That appears to be what the disciples are doing. Like, hey, Jesus, the temple, isn't it so great? I mean, the temple was this amazing structure. It represented God interacting with the people and it was made with these massive white stones, and when the sun hit them, it looked like the temple was a mountain of snow. And it was plated with pure gold that had a, a shine on it that, that looked like an angelic glory. And so they point Jesus up to us and say, look at this, Jesus, isn't this great? Look how Jesus responded in verse two. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus predicted that this temple would be destroyed. And then he went into a prophetic message to talk about things that will happen in the future. And this destruction of the temple ended up happening in less than 40 years. It was the defining moment of the Jewish-Roman wars. And Rome came in and they conquered Jerusalem and they burned the temple to the ground. In fact, historians said, that the Roman general who was leading this charge wanted to collect all of that gold that seeped between the cracks, so he had his army disassemble the temple brick by brick. Truly, Jesus' words came true, not one stone will be left on another. In fact, it was such a detailed dismantling of the temple that today archaeologists cannot pinpoint where it was. And so let me tell you why that's important. One, uh, the temple was a a massive staple in Jewish religious life, and it has been destroyed. And to this day, it has not been rebuilt. But more importantly than that, if Jesus got this one right in his predictions, then we all better pay attention to what he says next. Let's continue. Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? The disciples were asking Jesus, give us some indicators as as to when these these end times prophecies are going to take place. Here's what he said. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus says, you want a sign to look for? And he goes on to lay out some things that are happening in our world today. Just look at the headlines of the last four weeks. Wars and rumors of wars. What's Russia doing? Who are they going to team up with? Is our country going to go to war? Nation will rise against nation. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is now in its second year. There will be famines. Even as we speak, there's a famine happening in the Horn of Africa due to a drought that's worse than one that occurred 12 years ago, which killed hundreds of thousands of people. There will be earthquakes. Hello? Many of us contributed financially to aid the workers of of those who are pulling people out of the rubble of of the earthquake that rocked Turkey and Syria. These things are happening even today. And then Jesus drove his disciples to now learn about something that's going to happen to them specifically. Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. This one panned out, too. Historians suggest that nearly all of the disciples were killed or persecuted. Now, of the 12, Judas commits suicide, but as for the other 11, the ways they were killed, uh, crucifixion, beheading, stabbed with swords, pierced with spears, stoned to death. Uh, The disciple John died of old age, which doesn't sound too bad, except when you consider that he died of old age in exile in a prison colony in Greece after surviving torture. All of these things panned out as well. And then Jesus moved them from bad news to good news. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The whole world this had to blow the minds of the disciples. Like, don't you wonder if there's just one disciple who's thinking, "Uh, okay, Jesus, I love your teaching. Really, I do. But going global, come on. I mean, there's only 12 of us. And after all that teaching yesterday, I don't know how many people are still going to follow you in Jerusalem. So, I don't see this thing stretching globally. I mean, in order for that to happen, there would have to be some kind of miraculous event where people from foreign nations all gave their lives to you in one day. And then there's the language barrier you'd have to overcome. And then they'd have to leave their homes and go into other countries and other nations and and spread your message. Sorry, Jesus, I just don't see that happening. That one panned out too. It's called the church. And it began with a miracle where thousands of people gave their lives to Christ in one day, and then through persecution, they got spread out of their home areas, and everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. And this little religion that should have stayed within the four walls of Jerusalem spread outside the walls, stretched all the way around the globe through centuries to where we are right here, right now. We're still talking about it. And as we speak, Christianity is the most widely practiced faith system in the world. Even so, there are some 3.3 billion people on the planet who are unreached. 3.3 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. So we got some work to do. But at the very least, this prediction has been partially fulfilled. We don't know what a testimony to all nations means, but Jesus' message is going global. And then he shifted the attention to a very specific event that's going to happen in our future, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What in the world does this mean? Well, the word abomination simply means a gross misconduct. Even today, you hear people use this word occasionally. You know, they might see somebody's bad behavior and say, that person is an abomination, You know, maybe a passionate sports fan whose team just lost says, what just happened on that field was an abomination to the game of baseball. (laughs) Even today, people still use that word. In Jesus' time, the word abomination was typically associated with idolatry, a a gross form of idolatry. So Jesus said there's going to be someone who is going to cause an abomination, idolatry that leads to Uh, desolation or destruction, something that's going to mislead a lot of people. And where does he say it's going to happen? In the holy place, which almost certainly means the temple. Now, the Apostle Paul, who became the most influential Christian leader after the death of Jesus, expounded on the same idea in 2 Thessalonians 2. Here's what he said. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed a man doomed to destruction he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called god or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in god's temple proclaiming himself to be god so paul says this man of lawlessness will be revealed that is the antichrist a tool of satan that will deceive many and so Parallel this with what Jesus said, that this Antichrist in some, somewhere in the future is going to build up a third temple, and in this temple, there's going to be some kind of gross form of idolatry that's going to take place. And according to Jesus, when that happens, run for the hills, because it's about to get bad. Verse 21 of Matthew 24, for then there will be great distress Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. This period Jesus is referring to is, is sometimes called the tribulation, a very difficult time that will be ushered in by the Antichrist. And that, that saying of these days getting cut short for the sake of the elect, some have interpreted that to mean that God's people will not go through these hard times, that they will be raptured out of them, taken away from them, uh, which is a, a fairly newer doctrine when you consider the, the long history of the church. But the historical position of the church has been that, that Christians alive during this time are going to go through these events. We can't know for sure. But this much we can be sure of a tribulation is coming, and at some point in time, it's going to end, and then Jesus will return. Listen to this, verse 26. So if anyone tells you, There he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or Here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying that when he returns, you don't have to make any kind of misgiving. You'll know exactly when it happens. So if anybody tries to tell you, "Oh, the Messiah is over here," don't buy it. Don't believe it. If anyone claims to be the Messiah, the hope of the world, do not be deceived. Jesus is coming in unmistakable fashion. What's it going to be like verse 30? Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. When Jesus comes again... There will be no question as to what's happening. People will not be thumbing through their phones trying to Google what's going on. You won't need explanation. It will be as plain as day. We will see Jesus coming on the clouds. And it says that it will be announced with a trumpet. Now, I don't know if Jesus wants us to to believe that literally, in in biblical times, a trumpet was sounded to gather people for a special announcement. I think the main idea is that there will be some sort of of way of calling all of the people to to hear this announcement. Now, these events in the future are, are fascinating and mysterious, maybe even a little scary. And there are some... Some well-meaning people who, they get super into this stuff. I mean, studying all the timelines and the Old Testament prophecies and the book of Revelation and Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives and and trying to understand it all. One such person uh, lives in this community and and mails me uh, end times literature that he writes. Now, I've never actually met him. I don't know if he attends this church. I don't know if he watches online. Maybe he's even in this room right now or is maybe... Never set foot in the building. I don't know. But I do know that he prints his own end times literature and he puts Sunrise Church's name on it and then goes and sticks it on people's windshields in nearby shopping areas. So if you've ever gotten one of these, I promise you it's not from Sunrise Church, it's from this individual. Anyway, the latest one that he sent me uh, is actually from this verse that we just read about this trumpet call. Now, the actual word of, of the sound that a trumpet makes is the word trump. Do you see where I'm going with this? (laughs) So according to this gentleman, in his interpretation of end times events, the Trump that Jesus was referring to in Matthew 24 is actually Donald Trump. And we need to vote Donald Trump into office because he is God's instrument to usher in the second coming of Christ. I'm not making this up. Now, I will tell you this. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but there is not a scholar on the planet who would believe that that kind of interpretation is anywhere near reality. Here's the thing. When Jesus returns, it ain't gonna matter what king is on the throne because Jesus is the king of kings. (laughs) All right? So, So what does all this stuff have to do with us? I mean, sounds like Jesus has his mind made up This is all going to happen. I can't prevent any of it from happening. So I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing. Right? I mean, how can can I do anything in in preparation of this? Well, actually, there's several things that you and I can do. I could see from from this passage of Scripture, there's a couple of responses that we can have to Jesus' message about the end of the age. So if you're taking notes, jot these down. Here's the first one. Number one. Be prepared. You know, sometimes when we hear these kinds of events, they seem so far away, so, so distant. But what if they're not? What if there are things that I can be doing to prepare right now? One of the trickiest pieces of understanding Jesus' teaching about the end of the age is that he seems to sway between two contradictory ideas— On one hand, he seems to suggest that he can return at any time. On the other hand, he seems to suggest that we got time. Which one is it? Is he coming back at any time, or do we got time? Because here's evidence for the fact that he can come at any time. Matthew 24, Jesus said, So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So according to this, we ought to be looking up at the sky and saying, any minute now. But at the same time, Jesus seems to indicate that we've got time. Look at what he says in verse 34. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened. What things? The Antichrist being revealed, that hasn't happened yet, so I got some time. A third temple being built in Jerusalem, that doesn't happen overnight, so I know I got at least some time there. So there's 3.3 billion people who haven't heard the name of Jesus. We we gotta have a little bit of time, right? So which one is it? Is it coming at any time, or do I got time? You know what I think the answer is? Yes. I think it's both. I think the events that Jesus is talking about are gonna happen quickly and without warning. but what about the the building of a temple? That doesn't happen overnight. You know, maybe that's gonna occur in a way that we didn't expect. That seems to be the tone that Jesus is getting at when he said words like this in Matthew 24, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 42, therefore keep watch... Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. I think what Jesus is wanting us to do is to stay on our toes. To not know so that we'll we'll prepare ourselves so we'll be in that active way of getting getting ourselves ready. Here's the thing. If Jesus told us the hour and the day and the year he was coming, you know what we would all do, we'd start a countdown to that very moment, and then we'd all live selfishly until about five minutes to go. Then we'd clean up our act and say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready for you now. That's why he gave us the illustration of the robber. If you know your house was about to be broken into, you'd prepare You'd set the alarm, you'd be peering out your window holding a shotgun. Yeah, come get some, you know? That's what I think Jesus is saying. Be prepared. Can you imagine ever throwing a surprise party and not being ready for it? You know, hey, you have all the guests at your house, friends and family gather together, you're laughing, you're carrying on, then all of a sudden the doorbell rings. She's here. She's here. And you're like, okay, quick, uh, somebody turn on the oven. We need to bake a cake. Uh, Does anybody have any balloons by chance? Anybody bring any gifts, preferably gifts that are already wrapped? Anyone? Of course not. You would prepare. You tell people to park somewhere else in the neighborhood so you don't make it suspicious when they arrive. You go hiding behind the couch, shutting off the light. And then when they walk in, surprise, and there's the cake and the gifts and the balloons. You prepare and that's what Jesus is driving at. So the question is, how do we prepare even now? Here's two ways. Believe in faith and live out that faith. Both of these Jesus specifically addresses in this Olivet Discourse. Let's read on. This is verse chapter 30, verse 31 of chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, and Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. According to Jesus, at the end of the age, there will be two categories, the sheep and the goats. The sheep represent those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and the goats represent those who have not. And according to Jesus himself, everyone will be in one of these two groups, And you will either spend eternity with Christ in heaven or eternity apart from Christ in hell. Friends, this is not a game. This is not a hobby. This is not a metaphor. Jesus said these things are going to happen. Which one are you, a sheep or a goat? Here's the deal. Jesus invites everyone to give their lives to him. And and when he comes, these are the two categories that are going to be there. But but here's the deal. These two categories don't just exist at the end of the age. They exist at the end of our life. None of us know when our last day is going to come. We don't know if today's the day that some drunk driver is going to veer into our lane and smash into us. And there we are going to be standing before the throne of God. And if you've given your life to Christ, you are set. But if not, God's going to look you straight in the eyes and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Friends, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, don't waste a second more. We need to be prepared. Now, the other way to be prepared is not just believing in faith, but it's living out faith. One of the ways that you can be confident that you have a relationship with Jesus is that it ought to be evident in the way you treat others. Listen to Jesus's words as we continue in Matthew 24, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, come, They both make a a bleating sound that can be difficult to distinguish. But although sheep and goats sound alike, they do not look alike. And Jesus gave us some examples here of what a sheep looks like. It's evident in their lifestyle. And here's just a few things he mentioned. Feeding the hungry, housing the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting the prisoner. These are just some examples of living out your faith. This is a way to be prepared. Invest in the things that matter to God right now. How are you spending your days? These could be our last. What is your life? Is it make money, buy stuff, Use that stuff, press repeat. Don't you want your life to count? Don't you want to to spend your life doing something of spiritual significance? This is what Jesus wants for all people. He wants us to, to get ourselves ready, to keep watch, to live out this faith, to be lights in this dark world. That way, when these things go down, we won't be shocked. We'll be prepared. That's the first thing. Number one, be prepared. Number two, be bold. This is not a time to be scared or ashamed. Let's share the gospel with others. There's an interesting statement that Jesus made. I don't know if it caught your attention the first time we read it. It's in verse 30, and I want to reread it together. This is what Jesus said. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Who are the people he's referring to? Anyone who has not given their life to Christ. And what are they going to do when they see Jesus coming on the clouds? They are going to immediately break into mourning because the realization is going to set in, it's too late. I missed it. I'm off the list. When Jesus returns, that list is finalized. There's no late additions. There's there's no more bargaining. That's it. All of us have some kind of personal context of being left out. I wonder how many of you, uh, at some point in your life, tried out for a sports team, and you gave it your best. You performed well. Everybody told you, good job, but you didn't make the team. Your good job was not good enough. Or maybe you tried out for a role in the production, and your audition went really well, but then they posted the cast list, and you scrolled your finger, finger down every single name, and yours wasn't on the list. Or maybe you're just going through Instagram and Facebook, and you came across some pictures of your closest friends at a restaurant, and everybody's laughing and making memories, and you weren't invited. All of us have some personal context of being left out. According to Jesus, when he comes, people are going to start mourning because they're going to realize it is too late. The list has been set, which means that people we know and love are not going to be able to spend eternity with Christ. It doesn't matter if they're good people, if they had good intentions, if they sincerely followed a different religion. Jesus says it's only through faith in him that you make it on the list. That's why I think we ought to be engaging in fasting and praying for people. Because you have people in your life that you love and you want to see them come to Christ. This is a time for us to be bold Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the rest of us. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I was so ashamed of my faith. I used to hate to go to restaurants with Christians because they would pray before the meal. and I'm like, oh gosh, everybody's looking at me. They're going to see me praying. You know, so as I put my head down, I'd kind of like rub my eyes to give some other plausible explanation as to why my head is down, you know. I'm like, hurry up, wrap it up before the server gets back to the table and asks us if we need anything, you know. I was so ashamed of my faith. And when opportunities came to share Christ with others, I would, I would wimp out. I would, I would shy away. I bet many of you can relate. Some of you say, you know, I, I want to share the gospel. I don't even know what the gospel is. The gospel just means good news the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I give you the gospel in four words? You ready? Jesus in my place. Jesus loves you and I so much that he was not willing for us to just die in our sins, but instead he went to the cross. He jumped in front of the bullet. He became the substitute for us. And he died in our place. And when you put your faith in Jesus, an exchange takes place. Jesus receives all of my wrongness. And in exchange, I get his righteousness or rightness. And Jesus' rightness is greater than all my wrongness. This is the simple gospel. Be bold. Who's somebody in your life that needs to hear about it? Share with them this good news of Jesus Christ because he's coming again. We don't know when, but he's coming. So let's be bold and share our faith. Number one, be prepared. Number two, be bold. Here's the third one, be encouraged. Friends, Jesus' teaching about the end of the age was not meant to scare believers, but to encourage them. Now listen, I know that when many of us read the headlines, it scares us. What's Putin doing? Is is he teaming up with China? What's North Korea going to do? What's Iran going to do? That's scary stuff. Maybe you look at the the sin that's so rampant in our culture. Things that were once shameful are now celebrated. That's scary. And you look at the, the treatment of human life. Whether it's the unborn in a mother's womb or somebody being mistreated for the color of their skin. It's a scary world we live in. I get it. But remember what Jesus said. Let's go back to his words in Matthew 24 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes. All these are the beginning of birth pains or labor pains. Now, as a man, I will never know what labor pains are. I will never experience the beauty and the agony of childbirth. But there are plenty of women listening to this message right now who have firsthand experience. And they could tell you all about labor pains. I've heard of stories of women rushing to the hospital, Convinced that the baby was coming only to learn that those were Braxton Hicks contractions and the the birth is still a while away. But I've also heard of women say that as as painful and as uncomfortable as these labor pains are, there's still this lingering hope that a child is coming. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but after the pain, there is life. And that's what Jesus is saying to all of us. You're seeing these things play out in the world? Yeah, these things are just the labor pains. It's gonna get worse before it gets better, but if you could endure through the pains, at the end of it, there is life. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that when bad things happen, we ought to get excited. Wow, an earthquake. No, mourn loss. 40,000-plus people died in that earthquake with Turkey and Syria. We ought to mourn that. We ought to mourn things like school shootings. We ought to mourn sin and sickness and pain. But we should not be overwhelmed if you are a follower of Jesus. You ought to hang on to that promise, grasp onto that lingering hope that after the pain there is life. Jesus continued in verse 12. He said, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. What an opportunity for the church. Christians are the ones who stand firm. And when this world grows colder, God's people ought to warm it up. What an opportunity to shine when, when this thing gets dark, the, the, the church, God's people, ought to be shining even brighter with a, with a hope that, that the rest of the world can't find anywhere. This ought to excite you. This is why Jesus said in John 16, I've told you these things so that you may have what? Peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world All these things that are taking place in our world right now, these are just battles. Jesus already won the war. Now listen, if Christians are scared, what hope is there for the rest of the world? Listen, this ought to encourage you to know that as these things are starting to happen, I know, I know that we're that much closer to the Son of God returning To hope coming. To justice coming. To Jesus making it all right. That ought to encourage me. But right now, we're in the labor pains. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, bank on this. It's going to get better. Some of you don't have that assurance. Some of you have never deliberately invited Christ into your life. Sometimes when you think about death, it scares you. When you look at what's happening in the world, it terrifies you, but instead of dealing with that, you keep stuffing those anxieties down. Today should be the day that you stop giving way to fear, and you give your life to Jesus. That just happens by, by praying in faith, believing that Jesus died in your place, Admitting that you can't save yourself, only Jesus can do that. Some of us think, I'm sure it'll, it'll all sort itself out. When has that ever happened? Problems don't solve themselves. That's why Jesus came from heaven to earth to solve the biggest problem we'll ever have, and that's the problem of our sin. He died in our place to take care of that sin so that we didn't have to bear that on our own. And so if you've never prayed to receive Jesus into your life, I want to help you do that. I want to lead you in a prayer. You could repeat after me. I'll tell you, it's just words. It's just hollow words if you don't believe it for yourself by faith. And so if you want to invite Christ into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, I want to ask everyone in here, bow your heads, close your eyes. Online, this goes for you too. I want you to just take a minute and examine your own heart where you stand before God. And if you want to invite him into your life today, I want you to repeat this prayer after me in the silence of your heart. Jesus, I give you my life. You pray that straight up to heaven. Jesus, I give you my life. I can't save myself. I believe you are my only hope, Jesus. I believe you died in my place. And I ask for your forgiveness. Please cleanse me of all my sins. Please change my heart so I could stop living the way I'm living a new life that honors you. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Now if you prayed this prayer for the first time, things are going to shift in your life. And we want to help you with that. And So this is what I want to encourage you to do. On the programs, there's a perforated card at the bottom, and there's a little box on here that says, I said yes to Jesus. You could just fill this out, and you could just tear that card off, and in just a moment our ushers are going to come forward and collect today's offering, you can just drop that card right in there and somebody from our team will follow up with you and help you with this new life in Christ. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but you're just kind of stuck and you don't really know how to take that next step. Here's how. Grab your phone and text the word next to 909-281-7797. This is our sunrise number. One of our staff people will get that text. They'll exchange a few messages with you and help customize a plan for you to take those next steps. Maybe it's joining a small group or serving, or you just need somebody to talk to, you need some assistance. Whatever the case is, text next to 909 281 7797. Or you can stop by the next step table and have a face to face conversation with somebody who's ready for whatever question you have. Jesus made a whole lot of predictions about things that were to come, and he closed this teaching with one more prediction. Here's what he said. Matthew 26, 1. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And with that, Wednesday ended, and Thursday began. That's where we're going to pick things up next week, as Jesus spent an intimate time with his disciples in a Last Supper. Think about who you can invite with you to Sunrise Church next week to hear this powerful word Friends, listen. At some point, life as we know it is going to end. We don't know how. We don't know when. But according to Jesus, it's going to end. So let's be prepared. Let's believe in faith and let's live out that faith. Let's be bold. Share the gospel with someone that you know and love. And let's be encouraged. Jesus is coming again. He's going to make all of the wrong things right as this world grows colder, may the people of God warm it up with the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you will not leave us as orphans, but you will come again. We thank you that we don't serve a God who's six feet under the ground, but one who is alive and is coming again. And Father, I ask for anyone in here who does not have that full assurance that they have placed their faith in you. Lord, I pray they would not leave this place without having that assurance, without giving their life to you. And God, as we prepare to take an offering, we ask for cheerful hearts that... We may take these financial gifts and give them over to you. We ask that you multiply them so that we can make a difference in this community and around this globe for your name's sake. Even so, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in the powerful name of Christ and if you believe it in your heart, then let the church say, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I wanna encourage you to not just stop here Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.